Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Parker Brown, and I'm part of the core community of CMYK. We're a group of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. Before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do as CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love that CMYK is up to and want to be a part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we're able to continue our work and give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. I feel like I need to be a little careful to start this off because um, I'm going to... We're in this series in our favorite stories, and the last story I told was a kind of a depressing story from the Bible that my friend Ben, who's not here tonight, was like, why would you tell that story? And so I figured I might as well tell another depressing one from the Bible because I don't know if it's my favorite, one of my favorite stories, or the fact that it just has a lot of profound meaning for me. Um, so I want to start tonight off just by saying, number one, the place I'm going to arrive with this or ask us to arrive in our thought um, could very quickly garter some eye rolls or scoffs from you because I am someone who lives in a very privileged position. Uh, my life, my, my bills are paid. I have a place to live. I have friends like, like my life is quite comfortable. And so I need to acknowledge that where I'm going to ask you to take your thoughts about this story and about your life comes from a place where I'm quite comfortable as a human and other humans are not as comfortable as me. So to arrive at this place might not be fair for others. So please know that up front. I've, uh, that's better. I've spent um, the last uh, couple weeks feeling like, kind of like Matt said during the Lord's Prayer, the world's on fire. On uh, Tuesday night, I watched the Democratic presidential debate just to try and stay informed. And within 15 minutes, I was quite annoyed at the, just the shots they were taking at each other and how uncivilized the debate feels. And as a debate coach myself, I got very frustrated with the nature of it all. So I um, am very much not looking forward to this whole process in 2020 of either, you know, re-electing the incumbent or electing someone who's not. This whole process is very tiresome and um, it gets me very worked up like I should be out doing something. I should be you know, knocking on doors. I should be rallying the troops. I should be posting on Facebook. I should be sharing my really weak opinions about politics with people to try and convince them of something. And so after I shut the debate off, I decided it was a really, really good idea to go watch the city council conversation around the NDO. I'm a smart man. And as I watched that, I um, grew with even more frustration because what it felt like, regardless of what side you are on on this, it just felt like two groups of people very much talking past each other with an inability to hear one another and have a discussion about this thing that is the NDO. And so after watching that for as long as I could, I, I shut that off and went to bed very grumpy 
And then, you know, being the social studies teacher that I am with my sixth graders, I try really hard to keep my sixth graders informed about the world going on around them. So sometimes we'll watch news clips or read the news and take a break from our ancient civilizations curriculum. And this week, you know, what's the hot topic? It's coronavirus and the world's coming to an end again. And, and I'm, you know, it's the next epidemic that's going to burn everything down and ruin us all. And there's just so many vague conversations around it. And I just felt like at the end of this week, the world's on fire and I really need to do something because whether it's these massive things that are going on around me or the little tiny microscopic things in life, like maybe controlling an emotional student in my classroom, I feel like there's always this place I put myself in where I have to perform. Like I have to show up on the scene and fix something or do something or be something for someone. And so even when it's things like a, a presidential race or, or this NDO, it's like, well, Seth, you should do something. You need to show up and be the kind of person who performs and fixes this. I agree. Because <laughs> that's the feeling you're supposed to have when you fix something. Is, and, and, and I just found that this is getting more and more exhausting because my whole life has been this performance. And everywhere I go, everything I do, I have to show up and be something for someone, whether it's a good teacher in the classroom or, or a good friend or, or show up and be someone who's entertaining or fixes something. More on that in a minute. I, like, I, just, I feel like I have to perform nonstop for people. And I realized this week that I'm exhausted, that that this continual performance that I've been doing for 31 years is just, it's killing me. And so there's this story in the Bible that I find very interesting and, and, and I've, I've always gravitated towards it because before I left my, my Christian faith and moved into whatever I am now, this story was fascinating to me because it begged a question of me about what Christianity might be or even more importantly, whatever God is, what that relationship to that God is. Maybe it's the universe, maybe it's the God of the Bible. I don't know, but this story fascinates me. It's from the Gospel of Luke and it's, it's this part of the story where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he has a conversation. So we've just set the scene. I wanna read the story to you. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, him being Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and they cast lots to divide his garments. So this is the soldiers doing that. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, uh, and we indeed justly, and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a weird freaking story. 
that in the midst of all the drama of the crucifixion of the person that claims to be God in the Bible, there are these like side narratives always around this guy. I think that's one of the things I enjoy about this narrative still so much is there's, there's always more narratives that spin off this, that, that, there, there's like kind of like the, like the main quest, but there's always these side quests that Jesus is doing too. If this is like a video game, you know, and so and so like there's this like side quest happening. There's like this crowd of people watching this crucifixion go down. Which by the way, crucifixion the Romans really perfected torture with this. They just found ways to keep people alive for hours while bleeding out and suffering. The way you hang on a cross, your body sags, so you have to push yourself up on nails through your feet and wrists to be able to breathe. They just they perfected the art of suffering. And so in the midst of all this, there's this side story that evolves. That there's all these people saying, if you are God, save yourself. And this one guy next to Jesus is like, hey, just shut it. <laughs> Stop. What are you doing? We're all here together dying. I don't know why you're acting like this. And then he turns to Jesus and says, hey, just, just have me in mind when you arrive to where you're arriving. And Jesus says, hey, we're good. We're good. The guy didn't pray any special prayer. I mean, he stood up for Jesus, but if we don't know anything reading the, the scriptures, Jesus didn't really need anyone to stick up for him. He was really good at um, having those kind of conversations or sticking up for himself or sticking up for others. He didn't need anyone to do anything for him. He, he had all those cards played and, and available. And this guy steps in to perform. He steps in to try and fix something. And it's kind of comical because he's hanging there on a cross next to Jesus and he can't fix much. So he's doing everything in his power to use his words to fix this situation. And I love that Jesus just looks at him and says, hey, guess what? We're good. A lot of people... I've heard this verse talked about for a long time that it's like, you know, uh, people use it as a compelling evidence that you can give your life to Jesus up until the very end or, or, or maybe, maybe God in his sovereignty doesn't need us to pray a prayer or, or maybe that um, the way by which we get saved is, is completely different than what we thought of asking Jesus into our heart. Either way, there's just something unique to me. That, that the supposed God of the universe in this story, the God of the universe looks at someone and just says, hey, we're good. And as I examined this story and started reading other parts of the Bible, this, this idea came to me. And this, this, again, might be a little bit scary of an idea, and we're not even at the final one yet where you're going to roll your eyes at me and scoff at me. But I have this question, that as we look at the Christian scriptures in the Bible, what if there's a narrative here that is this? What if the entire narrative of the Christian scripture is a God looking at its creation and simply saying, we're good? That this story is so fascinating to me because the guy didn't need to do anything. He didn't need to perform. He didn't need to do anything. Jesus just looked at him and said, hey, I realize that in the midst of all this chaos and the world on fire, you want to perform and you want to do something to make this better. But guess what? We're good. And, and, and this narrative always really bothered me because the backbone of Christianity always felt to be a performance for me. That's one of the reasons I had to leave it. I was never good enough at performing in it. It always felt like the performance fell short every single time. And, and I know all the conversations about this. That's where faith and grace and all these things come in. But if you feel like you constantly have to perform to make some God happy, that's a pretty miserable religious system. And so the guy tries to perform and Jesus simply says, we're good. And as I examine the rest of the scriptures, there seems to be this creator looking at its creation and constantly saying, we're good. 
I got you. No, no skin in the game, no nothing, no problems. I've got this. And it's a really difficult thought for me because the question is then what do we do with it? Do we simply uh, fold our hands behind our head and sit back and say, hey, no problem? Do we just get lazy and complacent? Like what is the response to God looking at us and potentially saying, hey, we're good? Um, my father-in-law's funeral was on Saturday. Still pretty... Um, tender, I guess, in a lot of ways about that. So I don't know how this is all going to come out. So just, I guess if I cry, let me cry. Thanks. Um, so funerals on Saturday went really well. Um, it was a really beautiful celebration of his life. But then that night we had like another little celebration where all the family got together and we gathered at this place and the booze was flowing and we were having such a nice time. And all my, like these friends stopped in to see me and support uh, me and Michaela and support the family. And it was just absolutely beautiful. It was so fun. So, so fun, until it wasn't. Because I'm sitting there having some beverages with Michaela's uncles who are by far some of the coolest dudes I've ever met in my life, and they are just refreshing my soul and everything is good. And then I, people start coming up to me and making these requests of me to, to start doing stuff, to step in and like fix these problems. And I notice something going on in me, I'm getting kind of frustrated and I don't know what it is, but, but you know, I, I step in and start fixing and doing because I think there's some of us in this room who naturally we feel like we have to perform in all these situations. So I start doing these things that they're requesting of me with growing anger and sitting here going like, why can't else someone else do this? And then it culminates to this point where uh, I leave the party incredibly angry. Um, I, I literally was such a child. I grabbed the music off my laptop that I was playing and I, just, I walked out and I basically told everyone to F off. Yeah, I'm a child, I know, it's okay. This is ridiculous. I leave and I'm frustrated and I'm angry because there's this, there's this thing I always have to perform. I always have to be these things for people. And I wake up on Sunday morning still incredibly angry, which is rare for me to carry anger for that long. And I go for this long run. And during the run, I'm just crying and I'm frustrated. And I get back to Matt's house where I live and I look at Matt and I just said to him, like, I'm tired, Matt. I'm tired of always having to be something for people. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, and now it hurts, and I'm frustrated, and this really beautiful, what was supposed to be celebration of life of my father got tainted and ruined because, either because I don't know how to say no, or because I've just put myself in this position to constantly be the guy to fix things. And then when I watch things like the NDO discussion, or the debate, or you know, coronavirus, it's like, well, what can I do to fix it and help? But then there's this question. That if God or the universe is looking at me and saying, hey, we're good. You and me, we're good. Then what does that mean for me? I went and saw my therapist on Thursday to try and wade through some of these waters of my anger and frustration. And obviously death and grief are very weird. Those of us who have experienced it intimately, it does weird things to our emotions and, and our ideas. And so I go talk to my therapist on Thursday and we just start talking about how I have this insane desire to always fill the void in people's lives. I've just been conditioned to be this person who fixes stuff. And it's given me a lot of purpose and meaning and it's actually filled me up immensely. But at this point in life, I've done so much of it for the last 20 years that I'm, I'm empty and I'm exhausted. And we kept poking around a little deeper and we talked about some of the wounds from my childhood and how I was just kind of like set up for this. And 
And the, the conversation built to this place where she just looked at me and said, Seth, you need to understand something. You as you are, if you don't perform for people, you as you are, are enough. That you don't have to constantly be this person who shows up and performs and fixes, that you simply get to exist as yourself. And it kind of hit me that um, this goes hand in hand with this question I'm asking about this story about Jesus. Jesus on the cross looking at this guy and he's saying, we're good. And if, if the God you believe in is expressing that to you or the universe or whatever it is that is out there, that giant mystery is looking back at us and saying, you are good. You don't have to perform. You don't have to show up and fix things. You simply have to exist. I wonder what that begins to do for us and the world we exist in. Like, like when I start showing up to places and with people without the pressure to perform and fix and be something, I wonder if that's a better thing for the universe. And this is where I want to be careful again because I feel like this is the, the privileged part of this conversation that I, maybe I have the luxury in life to just show up and be me right now. That I don't have to perform for anyone. Because I, I think the reality is also there that some people feel like they have to perform to even get by in life. Like we all wear a lot of hats and there's a lot of things we have to take care of and do and that performance seems to come natural for us that we have to fix these things. But I'm asking a question for myself and maybe for you that if, if the universe or God is looking at me and saying, you're good, we're good, then I have to ask this question too. What if that means that we no longer have to perform for anyone or anything? That your life as it is right now is, is maybe like mine in some ways where you constantly have to show up and perform. And I'm just wondering if because of this story, this one little story tucked away in the gospels, there's this insane amount of permission for us just to exist. To just be, to know that we are enough as we are. And this is a really hard narrative for me. Because if you would have asked me even just two weeks ago, I would have said that the purpose of my life was to show up and perform. For you, for God, for my, for, for, uh, my family, for my, for my friends. But I'm, I'm, I'm at this really crucial spot where if the universe is looking at me and saying we're good, then do I have this insane amount of permission to no longer perform for anyone or anything? And that includes you. Like I don't have to perform for you or God or anything else. I just get to exist as I am as Seth Hirschkorn, knowing that I am enough. And this is a hard and foreign concept for me. But I'm wondering if this entire narrative of the scripture is telling us this thing. You as you are right now, where you are sitting at this time on a Sunday night at CMYK, you are enough. Because God, the universe, whatever it is, is looking at you and saying, we're good. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be anything for anyone or anything. You are enough as the human you are right now. And if I'm being honest, I have no idea what to do with this. Because I've never had the ability to simply sit back and just be enough in my entire life. And so this feels foreign and scary and I'm in dangerous waters. But what I'm going to try and start doing, that, that if this story holds as much weight as I think it might, 
that the universe is telling me we're good, then I feel like I'm done performing. Being something I don't have to be. I'm done being trapped and a slave to those things that I want, I want to embrace this freedom of knowing that I am enough and what I want for you potentially is to do the same. You are enough. You don't have to perform for anyone or anything. The universe is looking at you and saying, we're good. As you bring your hearts and minds to the table, one of the reasons I... The Eucharist meal, this communion meal is one of the things that I still very much value in Christianity. That although I've left it and still reflect on it and think on it, it's my history, it's my narrative, it's where I'm from, this is one of those things that from Christianity that remains very prominent to me. Because it's at this table where I feel like we all get to show up together and just be enough. Like there's no performance here. There's nothing you have to do besides dip bread in the juice, ingest it, and just reflect and be. And so we'll, we'll play a song for you, and I just want to remind you that my crazy idea of the universe maybe looking at us and saying we're good gives us a ton of permission to show up at this table just as we are enough. So I'm gonna invite you to come and reflect and take the Eucharist meal. I acknowledge that this thought might be a little too radical and crazy. And so forgive me if I've offended or betrayed anyone's belief system in here. But this story fascinates me. That in the midst of chaos and the world being on fire, someone tries to perform and the God figure in the story says, you're good. We're good. No performance necessary. You're good. And I just wonder what that kind of freedom gives us as humans to exist and be enough right here, right now, where we are. No performance, no showing up to fix anything. You just get to be as you are. My hope for you is this gives you some, some maybe intimate reflection on are you enough? Do you feel like you're enough? Do you, do you feel like you have permission from God or the universe just to exist and say, we're good? I love you guys. As always, thanks for letting me ramble off my ridiculous thoughts to you, and I hope it provides you with fodder for thinking this week. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while you're there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.